Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Pitching In. I'm Jason Mackey alongside Michael McHenry. I'm in Atlanta. The fort is back in Pittsburgh, and we just watched the Pirates nearly take two of three from the Atlanta Braves, nearly take the season series. Thought they played pretty well in Atlanta Fort. Some interesting games. Um, Saturday nights was certainly fascinating. We're going to get into all of that with Johan Oviedo and Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, we're also going to talk about Key Brian Hayes' comments um, after the game about the strike zone and automatic ball strike system and all that stuff. But I don't know. Before we get too far along, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, I thought it was a great series. I thought they played really, really well. I thought they had a chance to win today's game, but <clears throat> kind of fell off right at the end. And, you know, part of that's because the bullpen has been just absolutely worn out over the last, you know, probably two yeah. months because we have two starting pitchers, but they've been pitching great. I mean, we looked at the numbers on the pregame show and, you know, the numbers are outstanding. These guys are stepping up in a big way, but it is tough when you don't have a lot of starting pitching going at least deep into ball games. And I thought Ortiz was maybe even going to go deeper into that ball game, but I get it. When, when the bullpen's really hot, you want to use those hands. Yeah, I didn't have a huge problem with anything the Pirates did. I thought, you know, they, they got to a certain spot with Ortiz and you're going to protect them. There was still some loud contact. You go left on left with Barucki, it's fine. He's been good. Um, you know, the, the changeup that hatched through, like it wasn't a terrible pitch. I mean, you know, the, the Selby pitch to Acuna was bad. Uh, you're, you don't like that. Nobody's going to like mm -hmm. that. But, you know, you're going to lean on your bullpen when they've had the second best ERA in the bigs over the past 10 days and, and beyond that they've been very very good so like i get that you know their sample size has been better than luis ortiz mm -hmm. so i don't have any problem putting it in their hands it's just playing a tough team they lost so be it i agree with you i think it's been a pretty good three games they played the braves tough all year uh so a lot to dig into we as always at pitching in are brought to you by my favorite place the north shore tavern if you love baseball you'll love the north shore tavern Interior, it's wall-to-wall -wall pirates, their appetizers, entrees, cocktails, of course, steak and seafood on a sizzling lava stone, which I could go for right about now, by the way. Open every day at the North Shore mm -hmm. Tavern across from Fancy Park is Pittsburgh's home for steak on a stone. I went out to dinner tonight, Fort. I, I went perfectly boring. I do this from time to time on road trips. I try to. Wait, 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 wait. It's not boring, Mackie. It's not boring. It's it's legendary. Go ahead. Legendary. <laughs> It's not legendary. I guarantee that. It, oh, the red lobster. It is if you grew up in our childhood. It is. It is in our childhood. Yes, it is. Why? Why is that rare? Is it rare to go to Red Lobster? <laughs> what? No, it was like it was like gourmet when I was growing up. It was absolutely really? like high class dining for me growing up. Yes, it's a special okay. evening. Here's here's the way I roll on the road. A lot of times, if there's a game. I, I like breakfast and I'll eat hotel breakfast. I'm good with it. So I'll like fill myself and then I'll work out in the afternoon. And generally I'm not that hungry until I go to the park until I'll eat dinner at the park. And so like, I don't spend any money on food. And so by the end of a series, I'm like, well, you know, you have per diem and whatever. And like, I haven't spent a dime. So like, I'm going to go eat wherever I want. And 
not that it's gourmet, not that like, you know, Red Lobster is like the top of the, <laughs> top of the class. I'm not presenting it as that. It's just like, you know, I like to go somewhere for like a series ending dinner and like spend all the money that I didn't spend. And like, I didn't really feel like walking down to the battery. I wanted to have us be relatively on schedule to record pitching in. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at a short one. I'm going to go to Red Lobster. I'll play my my chain restaurant card for like once or twice a year. I'm good for like a Red Lobster trip, an Outback trip. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. They, they say to go to places you can't go to at home. And my wife won't go to Red Lobster or Outback. So <laughs> I do it on the road on my own. And I enjoy oh, the it. heck out of it, my friend. I love it. What'd you get? And how many biscuits? Uh, Ultimate Feast. Um, I, I really have never gone there and gotten anything else, I don't think, um, in three biscuits. And that's an honest assessment. Um, I, I would not lie about that. Um, I love those darn things. I really do. And oh. um, this is a question, and we're going to debate this real quick, and then we'll get into some pirate uh-huh. talk. But I think uh-huh. it's funny because it's so relative. Everybody knows this. Um, would you rather have like Olive Garden unlimited salad and breadsticks, Texas mm-hmm. Roadhouse, the, like dinner rolls with the cinnamon butter, Cheddar Bay Biscuits or like the bread they give you at Outback, which I don't even think should be in this discussion. It's like a clear number four, but I don't know. I guess some people like it. What would you pick? I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Outback thing, you could just toss that. The, the Aussies don't know what they're doing with their bread, but I'm telling you right now that butter from Texas Roadhouse. Dude, dipped, I know. Oh, I, I, I could know. eat it like cereal. Oh, so good. <laughs> so Dude, good. my kids love, they love Texas Roadhouse and they'll sit there and just like, take the bread and dip it like it's ranch dressing or something like guys, guys. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a fry and ranch dressing <laughs> and that's what that much cinnamon butter but i mean like i totally want to do it <laughs> not the greatest oh, parent for stopping it. <laughs> yeah it's okay i, right. I, I do it I'm, I'm 38 it's okay <laughs> i know right, right. um mm-hmm. all right so we got some actual ball to talk about i didn't plan on leading with this topic for it but i think it's maybe the easiest entry point into this series and what we saw key brian hayes after the game takes to twitter um and he wasn't happy about the balls and strikes that were called he's certainly not the only baseball player this season not the only pirate this season i think the zone has by and large been really bad um you know hayes's tweet by the way some umpires really don't care three one call not even close i hold him accountable after the game walking off the field and his response is yeah i gave you a chance to hit home run that tells me they don't care at all. No accountability. Bring the ABS, please. So uh, by my ca- account, that's the third pirate who has grown sort of audibly agitated at umpires. Andrew McCutcheon after the Tampa series, Connor Joe that day, and I believe one other time. Um, Key Brian going to Twitter. I don't blame him. Um, where are you at with that stuff? Are you a robo-umps guy? Do you want to see this ASAP? In what form would you want to see it too? I am a challenge RoboOMS guy. First yeah. off, they need to get rid of the the screen strike zone. It's got to go. It's not right. It's never right. Um, yeah. But I do like the challenge. I think it would be good for baseball. I think it would be good for fans. Vegas, I think every way I look at it, it's good. And in that moment, it could have been you know, to our favor. But to say from one side to the other, both teams are constantly getting you know pitches. The entire game today, that, that outer third was called. He was very consistently yep. bad on that side, but that's kind of the way it is. There are some guys in the league. <clears throat> I'm not going to say any names, but there are some guys in the league that have really been bad this year. If you get underneath that 90 percentile, you're really, really bad. And there's a couple guys 
think one or two, I know one for sure that's below 90. And honestly, they just shouldn't be behind the plate. You know, let the best guys be behind the plate more often. I think that's the best way to go about it. That's my argument. You can't have you can't you can't have an umpiring crew and just like say, oh well, you're terrible at this, so you're not gonna do it. Yeah, there's plenty of young guys that are are fighting to get up there. But the union holds them, you know, kind of at a different level. That's why those guys stick around. I mean, you look at the guy. I have nothing against the guy that was back there today. I really, really like him as a human being. But, I mean, he's probably 62 years old, you know. And and there's a reality. The game's getting younger. It's getting faster. The stuff's electric. So it is harder to call balls and strikes. And you have a catcher in front of you trying to manipulate everything and kind of of get in your dome or your melon any way they can to kind of butter you up to try to get you to feel like you're eating those Texas Roadhouse uh, rolls with the butter on it and (laughs) call more strikes. That's the reality. So I think it's a part of the game. I do love the part of the game. I do think they need accountability. Um, and I think they do have it with umpire scorecards, but I think they should release those more often. And MLB should do it. You know, so so guys see it and they're like, oh, I got to get better. You know? Did you butter guys up back in the day? Oh, did you sweep Absolutely. Yes, I yeah. did. Absolutely. You had to you know want? their personality. Oh, it depended on yeah. who it was. Yeah, like – I mean, okay. Joe West was one of my favorites because he he would get so mad at guys if they argued balls and strikes. He'd be like, come on, Mac. Tell me that wasn't there. I was like, that's a great call. I can't believe you stayed with that pitch. It was really tough. Down, running off the plate. You stayed with it. It was just on the edge. Absolutely perfect call. Good job, Joe. I'd just butter <laughs> him up the best I could, try to get those strikes the rest of the day. Wow. You have to. Yeah. Okay. And then other guys really wanted that. to know the truth. Oh, why yep. not? I mean, Joe wore me out at times. I'd try to catch a ball barehanded. It hit me back. How'd you let that hit me? Like, what are you talking about, Joe? I just used my bare hand to try to stop it. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Did you ever turn yeah. around and fire back at an umpire? Um, no, not one time. Okay. Yeah. I always, I always thought about like, Staying forward, looking at the game, and and you know, I thought you could get your report across by doing that instead of ever trying to look him in the eye. Now, I've seen him outside of the playing, you know, playing field sure. or outside the field, said things to him and just talked to him about you know a little bit more in depth of you know what they were thinking, what they saw, because they have a chance to go look at this stuff after the game. Yeah, my wife was amazed. I told her about sort of umpire catcher code. Where like you can mm-hmm. say whatever you want as long as you don't turn around. Uh, you know, it's a pretty pretty, pretty free discussion. You can be critical. You can, you know, you guys build a relationship. You talk to each other a certain way. But the moment you turn around and get in his face, you're showing up the umpire, and that's it's a major faux pas. And she like couldn't believe that. I think a lot of people probably don't understand that as part of the game. That like, you know, you can get away with. I mean, a I'll lot. tell you right now, Mackie, I've caught a ball and thrown it to third base a couple times. Say what? You you caught a ball and threw it the third. What do you mean? I thought it was strike three, so I showed him up that bad. And then literally had to ask for a ball. Like, you know, because my guys just kind of tossed it away. And I'm like, no, no, you throw it to the pitcher. No, now I'm gonna <laughs> like, like I need another ball. I'm sorry, sir. Please, just the ball. <laughs> oh man. I did that on multiple oh, occasions. Yeah. Dude, you were absolutely in the doghouse for the rest of that game. 
You can't I talk my way out of it. I talked my way you? out of it. Come on. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to figure out a way. Like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I, I got a little quick, got excited. You know, you just tell them the truth because I did. I got a yeah. little quick, got a little excited. Didn't say it wasn't a ball strike. Just said the part I could. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so let's get back to Key Brian's comments, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, asking for the ABS system. For anybody that doesn't know, the ABS system basically is you would get a set amount of challenges per game. And let's say the Pirates had a challenge in that instance. Um, the call he didn't like, and you basically request, I think, what do you like point to point to your head or something like that? Tap your head. head. Thank you. (laughs) Um, you know, and they take a a look at it and it's actually a pretty neat thing. We saw it at the all-star game. That was my first experience with it live. And it's almost like a jeopardy, you know, (laughs) they're showing it and like, it's a different entertaining facet of the game. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's on the scoreboard too, right? In yes, real time. Exactly. Exactly. That's so cool. It's an added part, added drama to the game. I, I think it's fantastic. I am completely with you. I'd like to see the challenge mm-hmm. system. I don't need to see them go full on umpire, um, you know, robo umps. I think we lose a lot with the game just doing it all computerized. But absolutely, guys like Key Brian, I mean, I understand what he's saying. Um, and now I want to take the other side and defend the umpires for a little bit. I think what we're asking of them for is completely unfair. Like I, I am hesitant in my writing or discussing that discussing this with anybody to like crush umpires. If people can just take a step back and think about what we're asking these guys to do, see process, all of that, like human beings aren't supposed to be throwing 102 miles an hour. You know, umpires, if you're missing calls at 88, you're a bad umpire. If you're missing calls at 102, that's outside the realm of like human capability. I think we need to check what we're asking of these guys. It's not like, you know, you can train your, you know, eyes and reflexes and, and central nervous system or whatever the heck goes on in your body. I mean, I'm clearly a medical idiot. I don't try to pretend to be anything but that. But I mean, <laughs> things that go on in your brain, you can't work those out like your biceps. And we're asking these guys to have these things figured out. And like, like you said, they're 62, 55, 64. And they're still really good, right? It's, what, it's young remarkable. people. And they're, they're doing yeah. a lot well. But the fact that they're not perfect, let's stop asking. Let's stop asking like – let me try that again. Let's stop acting surprised whenever they struggle. And I have a question for you. Reminder, they don't know what's coming, right? <laughs> right. No clue what's coming, right? So – my thought when they first did the uh, the new automated pitch calling is why not give it to them? Why not let them have at least an understanding of what's coming? That'd be a huge help. In my because opinion. I don't think I don't think you could do that for it without the batter knowing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Unless it's a buzzer that like buzzes on the dude's leg, like you know, that's once true. for a fastball, twice right. for a breaking ball, three times for something. I don't know. I just don't know how you could communicate that with the umpire in close, such close proximity to the batter. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, you, you're talking about all that they have to deal with. I mean, they do have a buzzer right now on the, on the side of them that tells them the game yeah. clock, everything that's going on. I mean, they have to deal yeah. with so much. I mean, you think about check swings, you know, fair foul, everything that's going on, including calling balls and strikes, when that should be just their ultimate like goal every single day is to get that right and maybe have someone else help them with the other things. I think that would be – one way to help it, but yeah, they are remarkable at what they do. They're the best on the planet. 
And they're usually in that 95 to 96 percentile when you look at the balls and strikes they do call. And they're consistently bad on the side they're consistently bad on. Most of these yep. guys. They don't they don't miss all over. A couple guys do. They have days off. But I think there was their first perfect score this year to, just recently with the umpire, which is mind-boggling to me. Once again, I know you felt this way this way whenever you were playing and guys now feel this way. If you're going to like miss, just miss consistently. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to give the outside, give the outside to both teams. That's fine. We'll adjust. I think it drives people crazy when the zone is erratic and you don't know what's what. And I think we've seen that too much where, you know, one guy throws a pitch in one spot, it's a strike. Another guy throws a pitch in the same spot. It's a ball. Like that, that, that to me drives people nuts. If a guy's going to give you the outside, I mean, like today, you know, by and large, you're giving the outside, mm-hmm. he's going to give low, he's going to give high, whatever. That's fine. People will adjust. Guys have their umpires have their preferences completely fine with it. So anyway, let's move on. I don't want to get bogged down in this line of conversation and we have a lot to get to. Um, one of the things I want to bat around with you though, is Johan Oviedo versus Ronald Acuna Jr. on Saturday night. Acuna Jr. gets upset, fourth pitch, the home half of the first inning. Oh, my goodness, you're pitching me inside. How dare you? <laughs> Starts yelling at him. God knows what the Oviedo. Oviedo fires back. Uh, wasn't the first time. You know, o- o- Oviedo's control has obviously been a little erratic lately. Certainly understand that. Um, you know, I forget who all got mad. Ozzy Albies, I think, was in there. Um, I know he hit Austin Riley. I don't know if Matt Olson was in there getting agitated, somebody thrown inside. But uh, I'm just trying to provide all sides of this. Um, I got really tired of seeing Ronald Acuna Jr. complain about being thrown inside. I really do. Like, dude, you're one of the best hitters in the league. How do you think people are going to get you out? Just like say a prayer before throwing the ball? Do you want to roll it up the home plate? Like, of course we're going to pitch inside. You can be as mad about that as you want to. Or you can, I don't know, start your swing earlier and turn on it and crush a pitch where you know it's going to be out to left field. You can lay off of it and take your base and then steal second, which you've obviously done quite a bit. Um, You know, I have a lot of respect for Ronald Acuna Jr. as a player. I'm an MVP voter in the National League, and it's going to be darn hard to separate him and Mookie Betts. But boy, was I tired of seeing that on Saturday night. What did you think of it all? I think it's part of his act. Um, I think he's doing it on purpose. I think he wants yeah. to get them riled up to get him back out over the plate. And he actually handles the ball in really, really well. Um, yeah. I, I think there's a little bit more rich history when you look at, you know, Holderman hit him and he had to get x-rays, get taken out of the game. So maybe he was, you know, a little frustrated coming into this series. And then Oviedo's natural miss. I mean, you get a scouting report, you know where he's going to miss with this heater. It's going to be up at your face, period. I mean, that's his natural miss up and in. So I think he just wanted to get him back out over, look for that slider. You kind of saw his approach the entire weekend. He leaned back out over and got a couple of hits to right field. And he actually runs out of bat away a lot of times if he can't lean over like that. So when he played the Pirates here, I, I thought that first game he was running out of bat pretty consistently. He had a couple balls hard, but swinging and missing a lot. And that's how you get him out, is you get him out down and away. That's the best place to go. But if you cannot own inside and he can get you – kind of spinning in that head, he's winning that battle. I think that's the whole point of what he's trying to do, and that's what that team does. I mean, they're a bunch of juggernauts, and they're picking on the league constantly, and that's what he did. And I'm sorry, if he went after Oviedo, Oviedo would eat him like that lobster biscuit. I'm telling you right now. I mean, he would just eat him like that cheddar biscuit. He had no (laughs) shot. Oviedo looked like he was 
like he looked like a bull. He was breathing hard through his nose. I was like, oh my gosh, he may eat him right now. Like run Dude, away, Akuna. I, you do not need to go near that man. Wow. I but loved I loved that. It. I loved it. Yeah. We've needed that fight, that fire, that piratey type pitcher like AJ yep. Burnett. I think Oviedo would actually hurt somebody. I think AJ Burnett would, you know, fight, but I think Oviedo would actually hurt somebody. And he's the pirate that we've needed. We've need that emotional dude that lays it down every time he goes totally. out there. Totally. I love Mitch Keller. Loved it. I think the world of Mitch Keller, yeah. but there's not the AJ Burnett vibes coming from him that there was with Johan Oviedo. And so I want to take listeners, viewers of this podcast inside the clubhouse a little bit. So I think that's one of the things we're able to do here. Um, and by Oviedo, the way, thank you for that. You did a great job with that. I heard all the questions and like keep going uh, and how transparent honesty was. That's what baseball needs. Yep. That's it. I've heard so many good things about that, that we re-ran it today. It was so good. Yep. It was so good. So thank okay. you and everybody else that asked those really good questions because that's what baseball needs. Okay. So here I'm, I want to, I want to tell the whole story about mm -hmm. Oviedo, the value of being there, what I think of Johan, how that came about, et cetera. Um, so anyway, I'm going to start earlier in the day where Oviedo starts and you've been around here. So just listen to me. You probably know what I'm going to say, but people who aren't around get a flavor of it. Oviedo mm -hmm. is one of the most colorful, energetic people in that clubhouse. On the day he starts, he generally comes in, puts on the music, cranks it up super loud. It's usually some sort of like Latin American hip hop. Some, you know, it's actually pretty fun, but it gets loud, man. Like he just likes his music, likes to have a good time. That's cool. Um, he's also very friendly. Some guys will be like headphones on. They don't talk to anybody. Oviedo comes up, you know, fist bumps you, handshakes you, whatever, uh, meaning like reporters everywhere. That's just sort of the way. They act. So Oviedo was in a really good mood, really jovial in Atlanta. Um, you're like, okay, this is this is kind of interesting because he was not in St. Louis. He was very agitated at the end of his last start saying, I didn't feel comfortable, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So they go out there. We see what we saw. And, you know, I won't tell the game portion because people saw that. So after the game, Oviedo starts talking. This is a certain tell for me as a reporter when a guy says something like, he had his chance. He didn't do anything about it. Like a, his answer let me know, man, there's something more in there. There's something in here that he's not saying that like you can look at it like you're prodding. You can look at it like you're leading or you can look at it like you're kind of trying to get this guy to express what he really wants to say. So anyway, he got a couple follow-up questions about, you know, when you say he had his chance to do something like this was me asking you know, did you mean home run? Did you mean bench clearing brawl? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that sort of sets off a response. Um, Justice De Los Santos from NHL, NHL MLB.com um, asked something else, and I forget what that response was. But, I mean, you end up getting responses like nobody respects the Pirates, like he was saying, and baseball is soft. You need to be expecting to get pitched inside. Um, and, anyway, I, I agree with you, Ford, that – it's the value of being around somebody, knowing their mood, knowing how they act, knowing what they want to say, knowing how to get that out of them. The trust being there to get that out of them leads to stuff like that. And also, I mean, you, you need to have a player who's as articulate and as thoughtful as Oviedo, which like I really like dealing with him, man. I think there's so much there. I think he's a really good pitcher. Oh, and the last point that I'll make, 
I, I won't divulge much of this out of respect for Johan, but we sat around and BS just like Oviedo and some of the, the beat guys about um, kind of what he really thought of the whole situation. And I will just say like there were major AJ Burnett vibes there. Um, so mm. cool moment. For him. Oh, it's awesome. I, I love the kid, you know, yep. um, I, I almost think about him as like a little brother at times when I see him. I just want to give him a big hug. I smash him on the chest because he's a dude that <laughs> I just I, <laughs> I just I think the world of him because I love the way he competes and I know how good he wants to be. And sometimes it's really hard to tell that about guys. And he's a guy that wants it. He wants the team to be good. He wants to win for the city and he wants to do it for his family, which I really, really respect. He's a really good kid, man. Really yeah, good kid. And he's I, I like him he, a I lot. Mean, he, he's yeah, a part of this thing. Sure. He is no doubt a part of this thing. I do not want him going no anywhere. I'll be making 35 starts next year. Mm -hmm. Like he's a guy. He's in my rotation. No questions asked. No yeah. doubt. Okay. No doubt. Him and Scheme, right. scary. The, the competitive nature of those two guys at the top will be scary. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I want to get into another topic. This is a little bit sideways of what we talked about, but it is exclusive to Atlanta. So when the Pirates got into mm -hmm. Atlanta, I believe it was on Friday afternoon, you tweeted something. Hard to see the Pirates going to Atlanta without thinking of this. Um, and you tweeted a photo of July 27th, 2011. You're not leaving me, are you? Don't leave me. Don't leave me. <laughs> now I'm here. You know, you know what I mean. Um, so <laughs> I won't, I won't regurgitate this. Um, anybody knows what I'm talking about. Jerry meals, 19 innings, etc. cetera. Um, caused me to do a little bit of researching that for it. You know what I didn't realize you guys were 53 and 49 at the time. And you ended up going 19 and 41 mm -hmm. to finish 72 and 90 that year. Oddly, 19 and 41 was the same record that the pirates had in 2020 in Derek Shelton's first year. I don't know what that means. Wow. Uh, maybe not. It doesn't, but that's kind of cool. Good math. A little weird. Uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I was doing math earlier. So if you smell anything burning, that was me. Um, so what do you think about, though? Like, seriously. And I don't mean to ask this to, like, make you cry or make you mad. But, you know, you had a really <laughs> – nobody had a better seat than you uh, <laughs> to that play. Like, is that something you just kind of let go? Or does it, it, does it bother you every time you see it? It bothers me every time. We, honestly, every time we play in Atlanta, I think about it. I think about yeah. Daniel McCutcheon uh, putting his spikes on when he had his day off. He'd thrown three days in a row. He throws yeah. five and a third innings, and he gets the loss. Um, I think about Scott Proctor face-planting after he hit the ball to Pedro. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's hilarious yeah. that he face-planted. Um, Julio Lugo, he, he, he just passed away recently. So I think about that, and we used to joke around every single year at the uh, anniversary of that. He'd be like, hmm, I was safe, puppy, every time. Uh, really? And yeah, so there's a lot of memories there, and it was really a huge, ginormous turning point off a cliff for us. We went from there to Philadelphia and just got waxed, and it just kind of fell from there, and I think it was demoralizing. And I think you can always look back at a season and say there's a turning point in the season that went good or bad, and that was one of those that went really, really bad. You know, yeah. it, it was a really tough, tough moment. Young team, and a lot of guys that were, you know, about to come off the IL or DL at the time. And when they did, you could kind of feel the wind was already knocked out of us. Yeah, so you guys won the next night. You lost 10 straight and 14 of the next 16. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're absolutely right that it kind of 
I just – I remember being on the other side of the fence watching that and watching that happen, um, staying up for all 19 innings. And I remember being transfixed by that game and when it happened just being like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I know my feelings are not one millionth of what anybody on that field experienced. Uh, just crazy. Do you talk yeah. to Jared Niels? You know what? <clears throat> no, and I and I caught – almost 300 more games after that, if, if not a little bit more and never had him, not one time. Really? Yeah. I don't know if there, I, I say it's a conspiracy theory. How I didn't have him is remarkable. I had everybody multiple times and I never had Jerry, not one time. And to find out he's a Pittsburgh native or at least yeah. a Pennsylvania native is wild. But you know, I always say this, Jerry was incredibly good that day because I don't remember anything he did wrong except that moment. Yeah. Or, I completely blacked out. My memory's completely gone except that moment. One of the two things happened because somebody told me I homered that game. I was like, what? Yeah. I had no clue because you just get so transfixed on that one moment because it was such a big deal. I mean, it was wild. When you think back about I – was, I was thinking about this in, in context of um, like replay and expanded replay and the need for it and sports pushing for it. Do you think that had a lot to do with where we are today in Major League Baseball? I think it did. I think it did personally, but I mean, you were involved. Do I do. Think that sort of greased I, the skin. I do, one hundred percent. And the hardest part for me was we were still, at the time, talking about the neighborhood play at second base. You know, like yeah, if if you were anywhere near the dude, you know, and the ball beat him, he was out. So it was it was wild. I think that play, and um, I always think about the perfect game. Um, mm. That was um, in Detroit, I believe it was. I, I think about those two plays that, you know, were probably very pivotal. Pivotable is that right? Say that for pivotal. me. Pivotal. 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 Yeah, pivotal. So pivotal. Yeah, for that review. I mean, I think I think it's turned out well. I really do. I think at first they had a couple of hiccups, but I think it's been really, really, really good. Yeah, I, they, they've gotten better with it this year. I'm I'm still a dinosaur, and in the camp of less replay in pro sports, not more. Um, I worry that some of the other sports, they're just, they're trying to adjudicate everything and it's not the best thing for the viewer. Mm. It's almost like in football, you see a big moment and, and hockey's the same way where you celebrate it, but it's like celebrating with one eye open or something, you know, in hockey, you're going to look yeah. for like you know, somebody's toenail was across the line or, uh, <laughs> you know, football, is there any flags? Did anybody do anything wrong? Or, oh my goodness, it's a clean touchdown. We can actually celebrate. Um, I just think it's gotten a little bit ridiculous with that stuff, but that's that's also way beside the point. Okay. No, I agree. I agree. I think baseball's doing a good job this year. Do not fall into football or hockey for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's discuss a little bit of the Brave series, and then we're going to finish with some Paul Skeens talk. Um, I was in Altoona catching up with him on Thursday. Um, I realized that our last edition of this podcast for it came out Monday morning. And then I think we learned um, the following morning, following some comments on Monday mm -hmm. night, this is my conspiracy theorist that I think, you know, he may have gotten himself shut down for the season. I don't know. Um, but anyway, Braves takeaways. What did you think about this series? What stands out to you? Uh, what are you most encouraged by after winning only one of three, but nearly winning two of three and then, you know, playing them pretty tough all season. I think the way we played a ball year long, I mean, you, you think yeah. about the seven games, I mean, obviously one, four, but we played well and we played really good baseball. The base running for me was probably the biggest thing that stood out. 
obviously Brian Reynolds the truest part, but the in the bases. And I, I thought the Braves won really had a pivotal moment when Acuna ran almost to second base. No, nobody's at first base. He's completely gone. Joe's the cutoff man. There's nobody there. So they draw the throw. And I think we did stuff like that the entire series where we drew a throw, where we took an extra base, where they didn't attack a ball properly. You know, here we are taking a run. And I think that's the the game we're going to play moving forward. And I think it's been gone for most of the year outside of, you know, April and parts of May. And I think it helps having Bay back. But seeing Sawinski swipe some bags, see some guys get from first to third, um, just some really good hard-nosed baseball is what I keep thinking about with the Atlanta series. Yeah, that's, that's a you? very good point. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seemed like the Pirates' sense of urgency was greater than that of the Braves. And, I mean, that mm-hmm. might have been real. Okay. Like, the Pirates are trying to scrap and claw and finish with as many wins as possible because they want that to look good at the end of the year. I mean, the Braves are pretty much trying to, like, not screw it up, not get anybody hurt, and then go into the playoffs 100%, which I understand. Um, but, yeah, the Pirates, I thought, fundamentally pr- played a pretty good series. They've been better defensively. Um, I think it was Alika with an mm-hmm. error at one point. Um, but by and large, I, you know, today – I thought they handled themselves pretty well. We're recording this Sunday for Monday per usual, but you know, Pagaro is a really nice play. Um, some high, high velo balls. Um, trying to think of some other guys that, that had a Bay had like a, you know, half dive kind of thing. I mean, defensively they played well. It's fine. Um, my biggest takeaway though, for it, what, what was sort of framing my asking that question, I thought Ortiz was really good today. That was really encouraging for me. Um, and also seeing like, while we've been here, hearing talk about Rowanzi Contreras, hearing talk about Quinn Priester, it's been such an issue for these guys to figure out. That's the best I've seen Luis Ortiz look in quite some time, maybe since last year. He talked about that after the game, feeling more free, easy in his delivery, the mental side of it. He's more relaxed. He's regularly hitting 97, which I'm fine with. I don't need him to hit 101, 102. Mm-hmm. If I have 97 with location, I'm completely good with it. I Luis Ortiz, to me, looked like somebody that I would not feel bad about having in my rotation and using every fifth day. And if I'm the Pirates right now where I need starting pitching, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, we're going to need him. And I love that he's owning the bottom of the zone. I know Derek Shelton talked about him being more linear, working down the mound. I do see that as well. He's not as rotational, so the ball's more true. He's using his sinker a lot better, not trying to get up at the top of the zone as much where I think he gets really hurt. And today, I thought he did a great job understanding the slider was the best pitch he had. So he used yep. it as a ground ball pitch. He did give up some hard contact, but they were all ground balls or low-line drives. And that's what he can be. I, I do want to see that swing and miss, but I think that's coming. And I, I think the changeup's going to have really good swing and miss. It's got a lot of depth to it. I think he's going to be able to throw it to righties where they try to get to that sinker that they think's in, but it's a changeup. So I like where he's going. I love that he's using the glove side. Um Primarily, I think it gives him a lot of window to play around with with that sinker, and he can start off the plate, and he utilized it a lot today to try to get strike one. I mean, he had that, him in delay, and they used it. I I love that. I think he's starting to really understand who he is. I would agree with that, Ford. I would agree with that. So, okay. A week ago at this time, uh, Paul Skeens was gearing up to start in Altoona opposite Dylan Cruz, his teammate with LSU in town with the Harrisburg Senators. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul Skeens goes on the AT&T Sportsnet broadcast on Monday night, talks a little bit about this, that, and the other, talks about the matchup with Cruz, 
also says something about feeling a little bit worn down. It's taking them a little bit longer. It's a little bit tougher to recover between starts. Um, all of a sudden on Tuesday morning, the Pirates have shut down Paul Skeens. Uh, ben Charrington said he wouldn't pitch more than 20 innings. He winds up pitching six and some change. It's probably conspiracy theorist in me, but I think that the Pirates maybe heard something on that broadcast and are like, man, I'm not, we're not pushing it. We're not pushing it. And it, th- my comment here is also not about that. I don't care. I, I think good, if that's what they did, fine. Good on them. You know, your job is to protect this investment long-term and not get him hurt and not do anything silly. So if he's feeling one iota of soreness, shut it down, send him into the fall, see you in spring, buddy. Um, but I bring this up because I think another part of this conversation topic, as I drove out to Altoona on Thursday, along with several others, and I asked Paul, do you think it's realistic for you to make the major league rotation opening day 2024? And he said, I want to be here tomorrow, which I understand that. And he said, you know, it's not really in my control. And, you know, he answered it exactly the way you would want him to answer it. But Fort, you've been there. You've seen it. You've seen this kid pitch. You realize what it takes to pitch at this level. Is that realistic for him to be in the major league rotation in 2024 opening day? I'm, is it realistic? Um, no, that's a no. I want to say yes. But yeah? I, I don't think it is. Um, and the, the reason I say that is realistic. Um, there would have been more of a push um, to get him more innings this year, to get him more of a feel, um, to try to get that bounce back. Um, because whether that's a conspiracy theory or not is very strange. And they are trying to protect him. He is he is the diamond. You know, you don't want to mess up the diamond. You don't want to scratch it. You want to make sure that clarity stays really, really nice. And that's what they're trying to do. And they have a plan. They're they're trying to shape some pitches, do some things with him. Um, and I, I think he's going to come back. I think he's going to wow some people in spring training. I really do. But if you're going to protect him, you got to protect him. And I think if they're not 1,000% sure that he can go from start to finish, if they think they're a playoff team, he's not going to make the opening day roster because you cannot protect a guy in the big leagues. I mean, you can try. We've seen how that's turned out with Ronsi Contreras and Ortiz. They took a huge step back. You got to let these guys go once they get to the big leagues and they have to be ready for it. So if he comes in and they have a great plan, I mean, I'm talking absolutely flawless plan, which I think if anybody um, in an organization could have a flawless plan, it's this dude and he could come in and wow them in spring training if he gets enough opportunities. Yeah, he could, but I don't think it's, something that they have planned. Now, it could be one start. It could be two starts. It could be five. Um, I, I don't know. But I think they're going to go out, get some starting pitching, create some depth, and he'll create an incredible pitching force in that double-A, triple-A realm that's seemingly coming together right now. I've been really impressed what they're doing with these youngsters right now. Same. Same. I really like what they have stashed. I think, you know, Bubba Chandler coming up and making his double-A debut, he was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. 20. He's 20. The kid comes up the double A and just 20, 20, seven and one with the 166 ERA over his last nine starts. The majority of those at high A. Um, and I love the swing and miss, Mackie. I, I'm a big swing and miss guy. Like if yeah. if a guy's not getting a bunch of swing and miss in the minor leagues, I, I've not seen a lot of guys carry that over into the big leagues and have a huge success rate for consistent amount of time, especially year to year, because you have to have swing and miss. You have to be able to get yourself out of, you know, jams. And the swing and miss is so high in the minor leagues. If it's not high, you know, in your pitching, I, I have some concern. Yeah, 
but Chandler's been really good. Salamedo's been really good. Um, who else? Jared Jones is somebody who intrigues me. I still think we need to see what's more with uh, Quinn Priester or Rowanzi Contreras. So there's some interesting parts. Um, my part on the Skeens thing, I don't mm -hmm. think it's realistic at all. As much as I want to see it, I don't see how we go from where we're at right now to him being on the opening day roster. As much as I want to see it, as much of a great story as I think it would be, exactly. I think intentionally left a little bit to do. Um, you know, you're going to like, he's pitched what, six and two thirds innings, six and a third innings uh, in the minor leagues between the complex, low A Bradenton and double A Altoona. Like, come on. I mean, we're going to see him out of spring training, get assigned to minor league camp and spend some time there, probably break with Altoona, make a couple starts there. Hopefully they go well, make a couple starts with Indianapolis. And then at that point we get into early May, late April, early May, and this kid's dominating. Then you're going to have to bring them up. You know, I don't, I don't, if this goes according to plan, I don't think they're expecting to like have to worry about Super Two and, and talking about his changeup or whatever. Like, if he pitches the way he's capable, it's going to be so far and away obvious. But I think they have left a little bit of runway for him to like check this box, check that box, do this, do that. And by the end of it, like you're on the other side of that, like basically two weeks, it's like two weeks in a day. Um, by preserving enough service time this year and you know you're keeping a back a year on the back end of the contract which nobody really loves but I don't know I, I guess I sort of get the middle ground where like you think that's stupid but at the same time you're Paul Skeens and you say if the Pirates say look we want to preserve this year of control but we're going to get you to the big leagues inside of a year from the time you've been drafted will you make that deal you're going to make that deal that's pretty good that's pretty good it works for the team it works for Skeens um, so that's sort of what I expect. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think they set out with a plan. I think they're following the plan. I think maybe there was a baby hiccup, but the reality of it is this guy's going to go to instructs. He's going to throw. He's probably going to go into the winter and do some more pitch design, do a bunch of different things. He's going to be in Knoxville working with this uh, guy, Eugene Blecker. There's going to be a lot of um, things happening. And I think he's got a really good idea. And I think it was a plan that was mutually agreed upon. Whether he loved the idea of stop pitching, I think he understands the bigger picture. In 2024, I loved how Sherrington said, you know, we had a plan that we worked backwards from 2024 in April. And yeah. I think that's really, really cool to say because that should be all that matters. You know, yeah. getting this guy to the big leagues and having him be successful as soon as he gets here. And that's the same from Skeens' camp too. Like they weren't terribly shocked. Which is great. Shut down. Like Paul himself is not happy about it. He wants the pitch. And that's okay. I don't I don't want a pitcher on my team who's happy about that decision. I'm perfect. You know, be pissed all you want. Amen. Buddy. You know, I want I want you wanting the ball, but like, you know, we're also making the decision that's best for all of us long term, and that is to shut you down and preserve you and get this right. And so I look at it and I think Skeens' camp looks at this like, you know, the only thing that matters is April 2024. Or May 2024, June 2024, like, you know, you want to get up here as soon as possible. But, like, right now, September 2023, it's not the hill to die on. So, I don't I don't think they're going to worry too much right. about that. Just, I can't wait for spring, though, man. I'm really excited to see him in spring around major leaguers, face, facing major league hitters. That's going to be fun. Absolutely. One thing I wanted before we jump off here is I love Mitch Keller's comments. When he was, you know, mm. everybody's been making a hoopla about his, you know, innings and how many he's throwing this year. He's getting over that hump. 
but how he said, you know, I have to do it. I have to get yeah. past this. It's a part of my growing and it's the only way I'm going to be able to pitch in the postseason with any effect. And the fact that they're talking like that, you can feel the culture shifting. Yep. And I love that. I, I love the the fact he said that. And then you have Oviedo, you know, saying the things he did the next day. And I, I, I got to talk about that. And I said, these guys got some guts and they want the glory now. And when they start really chasing that and they all start working together, like they are going into next year, they're going to be a scary team. They really could be a scary team if they all are starting to fight together like this. I'm so damn tired of hearing about this. exciting. Sellers. Yes, I agree. I am so damn tired of hearing about the drop in Mitch Keller's velocity um, or that being a thing or like we're worried about it or something like that. The dude is building towards something. He's never thrown this many innings. There's that. I have no doubt that he's tired. I have no doubt that he's worn down. I have no doubt that he's like trying to find it. Let him, let him figure it out. You know, it's like parenting, man. You got to. Sometimes I'm going to doubt whether my kid can do something or not. That doesn't mean I should question my kid doing it. It doesn't mean I shouldn't allow my kid to do it. I should keep those feelings to myself. And if I don't let my kid try, he's never going to do it. And so, like, that's what I see with Keller. Man, like, here's a kid with the idea of what he needs to build to, what this team needs out of him, needs him to be. I don't care what it looks like in the present. Over the past five starts, he said the fifth lowest ERA in all of Major League Baseball. It's like 207. Yes, velocity's dipped a couple starts. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter if you can locate your stuff, use other pitches, and you know how to pitch. And guess what? By the way, it might be the not the dumbest thing in the world to learn how to pitch when you don't have your best stuff. Guarantee if you ask Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, pick the like Jacob DeGrom, even at the height of his powers, like I don't care, Spencer Strider, you can pick anybody you want. Those guys know how to pitch when they don't have their best stuff. It's not always going to be there. It's okay for Mitch Keller to feel tired after like summon something from somewhere um, and, and, you know, has some frame of reference that he's built up over this 2023 season. So anyway, I'm a step down off of my soapbox, but that's just something that's been bothering me for a couple days. I'm like, so damn what? His velocity's down a couple of miles an hour. He didn't pitch bad against the Braves. You got to learn how to compete with, with whatever you have. I love it. I I, I could listen to you talk like that all day, Mackie. All day. I could listen to you talk like this. Love it. Uh, uh, I love it. I mean, you got you have to fail in this game at the highest level to ever know who you are and where you're going to go. And you have to yep. do it when you have your best stuff. You have to do it when you have your worst stuff. And then when you figure out how to balance that, you're a different animal. I mean, the greatest players don't necessarily do it great every single day. You know, they figure out a way to be good every day, and then they have greatness that shines, you know, more often than the others. But the good every day is more important. How can you find a little bit of good? And sometimes that good is you went six innings and gave up five runs. But shoot, you went six innings, just saved our bullpen for an entire series. Thank you. Yep. I tell people all the time, some of my favorite stories are ones that, like, I had nothing that day. I had, I had nothing to work with, like, you know, dialogue-wise, quote-wise. The game wasn't very good. And, like, I turned out something that was halfway readable. I was tired. I had stuff going on. <laughs> Amen. I didn't feel like being there. I was sick, you know. But, like, I turned a prof- I turned in professional copy. I'm like, all right. I'm good with that. You know, anybody can write when you've got Amen. 
crap in front. Anyway, nobody wants to hear about my side of it, but you know, there's value in there. There's value. No, no, but that's what that's the definition of discipline, right? The, the the only way you ever get to where you want to be is you do it on the days you don't want to do it. Yep. And when these guys show up and do things on days they do not have it, that's a big deal. You know, I remember yeah. Todd Helton telling me, it's like, what does it take to be a major leaguer? He says, instead of going 0 for 4, find a way to go 0 for 3. And you'll be in this mm-hmm. game a long time. Instead of going, you know, 1 for 4, find a way to go 1 for 3. Find that extra yep. walk. Find that opportunity to slap a ball the other way, to move a guy over. Find the little wins that'll get you to be a 240 hitter or a 250 hitter as a backup. Figure out a way to love your guys a little bit more so they throw a little bit better. So they start to see that as management. And sure enough, like, it kept me in the league. Those little things kept me in the league. And that's yep. important. All right. We've rambled long enough. Thank you all for listening very much. Like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff we appreciate on the business end. Thank you, North Shore Tavern, for sponsoring us. Fort, thank you, as always, for joining me for these. I love them. Um, I'm excited to keep doing them with you. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk ball with you, and I hope you have a great week, my friend. Absolutely, brother. Always fun, and you always make me hungry. Thank you. <laughs> go to some. Go to Red Lobster. Go get yourself some dinner, um, and we will talk to you guys again next week. Thank you for watching. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Thank you, sir. Good work.